Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. While I wasn't here, you had, we watched the, I uh, had you guys watch the night, night one of Father Ryan's mission. I know for some of you, that was the second time you had seen it. Um, some of you, it was your first time you had seen it, and uh, that, was, uh, that was wonderful to have you, I guess, see it again. Um, Father Ryan, I think, in our diocese, is one of the most gifted preachers, one of the most gifted teachers, especially in the spiritual life. Um, he gets asked to speak all over the country, and he's, he's a really gifted preacher and teacher, and he just gets the heart. And so my thought was, if, uh, if I can't be here, and if Father Ryan in person can't be here, this is the next best, best thing. So what you heard in that whole conversation was the, the importance of the heart, right? The importance of the heart and the importance of desire. This journey of becoming Catholic, of becoming a better Catholic, it's a journey of like about a person. Yeah, there's so many ideas that surround the Catholic faith. There's so many ideas and interesting things to learn and understand, absolutely. But at the end of the day, this is about a person, there's a person at the center of this faith. There's a person at the center of the mass. There's a person who's dying to know you and who created you to know him. There's a person at the center. And the place where we encounter him is our hearts. It's our hearts. And of course, I'm not talking about the muscle that beats blood through our body. I'm talking about, well, I'll just read this from the catechism. So much better than anything I was about to say. It says this, that the heart is the dwelling place where I am, where I live. According to the Semitic or biblical expression, the heart is the place to which I withdraw. The heart is our hidden center beyond the grasp of reason and of others. Only the spirit of God can fathom the human heart and know it fully. The heart is the place of decision deeper than our psychic drives. It is the place of truth where we choose life or death. It is the place of encounter because as image of God, we live in relation. It is the place of covenant. Then it says this, man plunges into the depths of reality whenever he enters into his own heart. God, who probes the heart, awaits him there. There he discerns the proper destiny beneath the eyes of God. That's some beautiful stuff. The heart is the place of encounter, the catechism says. The heart is not, when we enter our hearts, I think sometimes we can get the sense that the heart is the place of of subjectivity, right? If I enter my heart, it's like, it's the mushy-gushy feeling world where things might be true or false. No, no, the catechism says, when you plunge into your heart, you plunge into reality. Like, there's no thing, there's nothing more real than God, Right? He's the realest of the real. And if you go to your heart where God is, you're plunging into the depth of reality. So we have to get in touch with our hearts. We have to learn how to live from the heart as disciples, as Catholics. It's so significant. I think it's very significant that in the church, we have a devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus, not to the sacred head of Jesus. I think a lot of Catholics have been living their, their, their Christian life, their discipleship, as if it's devoted to the sacred head of Jesus. Like, if I know enough about him, that's good enough. 
it's good to know things about him. It's great to know things about him. It's great to know things about the faith, things about the church. But it's heart to heart that matters at the end of the day. We have to know how to relate to him from the heart. We have to get in touch with our hearts, which means we have to get in touch with our, with our desires. And as Father Ryan said, those desires can be messy. They can be messy, right? Yeah, we're plunging into the depth of reality, but yeah, there's a lot of messiness in there. So what we're talking about tonight is prayer. We're we have to talk about prayer. Um, it's essential. It's absolutely essential. Prayer is not something that's going to help your relationship with God. Prayer is your relationship with God. If you don't pray, you don't have a relationship with God. My spiritual director told me that at one point when I was in seminary, I was like, shoot. <laughs> if you don't pray, you don't have a relationship with God. Prayer is something that we were made for. The church fathers said that as human beings, we have what's called kapax dei. That's their Latin phrase for saying we are capable of God. We are capacitated to be in relationship with God. We are those kinds of creatures that are uniquely fitted to be in relationship with him, right? Jesus says in the gospels, my sheep hear my voice. I call them, they know me, they hear me, right? Like it's a power that is built into human nature, just like the power of rationality, the power of, of upright bipedal locomotion. All of it is built into our human nature, right? I don't have the power of um, echolocation, right? Like I don't, I'm not chirping up here trying to find my way around, right? <laughs> That's not a power latent to human nature. That's something that bats do and dolphins do and whales do, right? A power that you have as a human being is to be in relationship with the God of the universe. Holy cow. Like what kind of creature are you if you can be in relationship with God? That's pretty extraordinary. But the thing about this power, just like these other potentialities of the human person is they have to be drawn out of us. We have to learn. Like when you were parents, like you had to coax walking out of your kids, right? You had to do the whole like two finger, come on, you can do it, come to mama, right? That whole thing. You had to coax it out of them. Prayer has to be taught, it has to be coaxed out of us. So what I, what I wanna share with you guys tonight in some ways is a distillation of like some of the greatest wisdom of the tradition when it comes to prayer. And this is the stuff that in the summer of 2013, Oh, this is a much longer story for another day, but I was in a total crisis in my discernment journey. I was going into what's called third theology, so my internship year. So it was year eight of, no, year seven of nine of seminary, the seminary process. And I felt like I just don't know how to talk to God. I just don't know him. And I went to this place uh, in Omaha. It's called the Institute for Priestly Formation. It's held at Creighton University's campus. It's a 10-week-long spirituality intensive. It's a combination of like spiritual boot camp with spiritual rehab and like couples therapy, like with you and Jesus, all of that kind of rolled together. In 10 weeks, I, I got to learn from some of the greatest masters of the spiritual life today. Um, and I finally learned how to pray. I finally learned how to pray. And it saved my vocation, it saved my life. And that's what I want to share with you tonight. Here's where we begin. This is the absolute foundation starting point. And maybe for some of us, let me just bracket this for a second. For some of us, you have beautiful prayer lives, and that's great. So if you're listening tonight going like, oh, I know all this. Well, just review. That's good. It's good for you to hear it again. Uh, for some of us, this is brand new stuff. So first thing, foundation. 
we have to become aware that God is already waiting for you there. You have to become aware that God's already waiting for you there. Like Christian prayer is not conjuring God. It's not pulling him down out of the heavens. Like if I say the right words enough times, or if I say it in the right way or with a British accent, like God will fight. Like, you know, those old like Jesus movies, like Jesus always has a British accent. I don't get it. Thank you, Father, for hearing. What? He's Palestinian. Anyway, it's not pulling God down out of the heavens. First and foremost, it's a recognition that God is already waiting for you. St. Ignatius of Loyola, who is one of the, the masters of the tradition when it comes to prayer, he said this when he's giving advice to his retreatants. He said, before you pray, he said, a step or two before the place where I am to contemplate or meditate, I will stand for the space of an Our Father. And with my consciousness raised on high, I'll consider how the Lord, my God, looks upon me. So like before you even like before you slide into the pew, before you sit down into the chair, before you, wherever it is that you are intending to pray, pause for just a little window and draw your attention on high to consider. I love how he says, not that the Lord is beholding you, but how the Lord is beholding you. Because there's a big difference. How does the Father bend down to you? How is he beholding you? Or as my one spiritual director said, what are in his eyes for you right now? Like before the ancient of days, before the eternal Father, we are all God's babies. The big problem in the spiritual life is that we think that we've grown up and become sophisticated. Like, I'm a grown-up. I should figure out, I should know how things work. I should have a better sense of this. I should, I should, I should, I should. What should babies be able to do? Not much. Before the ancient of days, we are all God's babies. What's interesting, right? None of us have memories of being a baby. None of us have conscious memories of what it was like to just merely exist and to have people utterly delight in our existence. Like our memories start well into that time of life when we like we can do things. I can tie my shoes, look at me, watch me, watch me. And what happens is we subtly develop this wounded intuition that I gain attention or I gain someone's approval because I can do things, because I can perform. It's not true. To the ancient of days, this is the truth. Let's just take a second right now. I want to invite you to close your eyes. We're going to do this periodically throughout the night. I just want to invite you right now for just a few seconds to just do this, to consider how the Father is looking upon you right now. Father, show me.
I just had an image for myself of, I saw my, I just had an image of myself, very little, sitting at an island, like a, um, like a kitchen countertop. I'm wearing these green rain boots, and I see the father leaning in. I just feel these hands pressed on either side of my cheeks, and the father, his face is right here. I just heard him say, you have my rapt attention. Like, did you ever have moments when you were uh, with your kids, those of you who have kids, or maybe with nieces and nephews, anything like that, moments where you were just like watching them, not like watching them to see what they're gonna do, right? Just like, but just like watching them maybe playing in the backyard or just watching them play with Legos or watching them be in their own world and you're just watching them with delight, right? Like there's just there's an immense amount of love that wells up and you're like, I just, I can't believe like, like you're my kid and like you're here, like you're wonderful, right? And they're totally oblivious to you watching them. And then maybe there's a moment where like they see you seeing them, you meet the meat and the gaze. Like that's what we just did. Like that's the first step of prayer is to meet the father's gaze. Like the father who's always like, I just love you. I just love you. And we spend most of our days utterly oblivious of the father's gaze. And then to suddenly turn and be like, oh, hey, dad. Oh my gosh, yeah, thanks. That's the first step. Because Christian prayer, guys, it's not, it's not Buddhist meditation where we have to like go and empty our thoughts. Christian prayer, it's, it's essentially stepping into relationship. It's, it's being with another. That's Christian prayer. It's being with somebody. It's not emptying your mind. I want to show you this picture. This is really cool. So back in 2017, I like, you're like, what is this? Okay, so back in 2017, uh, myself and a few other priests, we went to the, on to a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And around the Sea of Galilee, so Deacon Rich, when we go in February, we're going to see this. So around the Sea of Galilee, Ga- the Sea of Galilee, there's only one or two naturally occurring caves that are on the hillside around the sea. And from the earliest of centuries, you can't really see it in this picture, but there are little cross etchings in the wall. From the earliest centuries of the church, Christians have venerated this cave. It's called the Eremos Cave. They venerated this spot as a place where Jesus went, you know, it says, and he went off to pray by himself, where he went to go be with his father. Ostensibly, this is where he went, which is extraordinary to like sit in there and be like, this is unbelievable, right? My face for those whole two weeks was just like, it was incredible. You want to see what it looks like as you look out from this cave? Yes. Okay, I thought you wouldn't ask. It's kind of easy to commune with God when that's your view, huh? What's incredible, too, right, that apart from, like, the, the fencing down here and the posts over here, this is more or less the same vista that Jesus had looking out from the cave. So prayer, first and foremost, it's a response to God who's already gotten there first. I always think of this image that, like, okay, if I, I have this, this chair that I pray in in my chapel every morning, and the image I have is, like, God the Father is, like, walking into the room behind me. And then just as I'm about to sit down, he's like, whoosh, like he gets in the chair before I do. And I just sit into the Father's lap. Like he slips in before ever we get there. He's always there first. Again, this is from the Catechism. It says this about prayer, paragraph 2567. That whole section, by the way, you have catechisms. This whole section on prayer is extraordinary. Extraordinary. It says this. God calls man first, 
Man may forget his creator or hide far from his face. He may run after idols or accuse the deity of having abandoned him. Yet the living and true God, in other words, the only God there is, like the God, the only God there is, the living and true God, tirelessly calls each person to that mysterious encounter known as prayer. In prayer, the faithful God's initiative of love always comes first. Our own first step is always a response. It's always merely a response. Anytime you begin to pray, anytime you're moved to pray, anytime, whether it's mass or a rosary, anytime you're praying, it's because God stepped towards you first and you are responding. That's prayer. And the thing is with like any relationship, intimacy, right? The word intimacy means like the innermost, making the innermost known. Intimere in the Latin, right? Intimacy grows in the measure that I spend time with the beloved. But I have to do something. It's not just enough to be in the same place. To grow in intimacy, you have to spend time with the beloved and reveal your heart and receive from the heart of the beloved. So it's being with, revealing, and receiving. Being with, revealing, and receiving. What does this mean? It means that we must, to, we must commit to vulnerability and receptivity. If you want to grow in the spiritual life, like by leaps and bounds, commit to being radically honest and vulnerable and receptive. It's also the same with human relationships, right? You want deeper intimacy. You need vulnerability, receptivity, and honesty. So what does this look like? I mean, the dynamics of relational intimacy that obtain between human beings, it's the same between human beings and God. That might sound weird, but it's true. So think about like a cross, right? Cross is made of the horizontal and the vertical. The horizontal dynamics of human relationships, human intimacy, it's the same between human and divine intimacy. It's the same, right? If you're going to grow in intimacy with another person, those of you, again, again, who are married, think about the journey of growing intimacy that you've had. That there was a point in time where you didn't know each other, right? You were strangers. You, didn't, you weren't in each other's worlds. And then all of a sudden, there's this other person who's now on the horizon of your experience. There they are. There he is. There she is. Right? And maybe it's like, I don't know, freshman geometry class at whatever college you were attending. And like, you sit next to this person. You begin striking up a conversation. What's your name? Oh, my name's Eric. What's your name? Oh, my name's Christina. You want to get married someday? Cool. Yeah. They're, they're married, by the way. Remember when we prayed for them? They weren't married. Now they're married. All right. Anyway. That's right. All right. <laughs> Thank you, thank you, thank you. But there's this other person that you begin to like, okay, who are you, who are you, right? What you, what you begin essentially doing is you start granting another person like this security clearance badge, right? Like, I'll let, I'll let you in, like, boop, I'll let you into the castle of my world, right? You let this other person in. And then as the relationship unfolds, you notice that you are letting them in farther and farther, 
deeper and deeper. And you're letting them in precisely by revealing things, by sharing your heart, by unveiling things. You let them in deeper and deeper. You, letting, you let someone into what is intimate and hidden and private. The same is true of God. So how it obtains on the horizontal level of human relationships, it's the same with God. We're going to get into this further tonight, but intimacy with God grows in the measure that I reveal to God what is intimate, hidden, private. When I give God the higher, highest security clearance, like, God, I'll let you into everything. You're free to look at anything. You're free to ask about anything. I will, I will show you everything. That's where intimacy with God grows. So in order to have intimacy with God, you have to first become aware of what is actually transpiring in your heart. You have to first become aware. Because within my heart, within your heart, are swirling together all of these different things, right? Thoughts, feelings, desires, fears, dreams, motivations, all these sorts of things. And some of these, th these things are superficial, like, boy, I really want a burrito for lunch, right? That's a thought. Some of them are much deeper, like, like do I hate my neighbors? I don't know. That just to the top of my head. <laughs> I don't hate my neighbors. I don't really have neighbors. <laughs> I live here. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> Maybe I hate my neighbors. <laughs> anyway, so you have some superficial thoughts feelings, desires, and there's other deeper things, right? And all throughout the day, things are happening both above the surface and below the surface, right? We can put it that way. Things are happening that you're consciously aware of, and then things are happening that register on an unconscious, deeper level in the heart, right? These things swirl together. And what often happens, at least for me, I'm just going to speak for myself, there's, it often happens that I get to the end of the day, or I get later in the afternoon, and I'm just at a place where, like, why am I so sad? Why am I so pissed off? Why am I so frustrated? Why do I feel so hopeless? Why do I feel so whatever, fill in the blank? Like, I'll get to a point where I'm finally feel like, why am I feeling so intensely this thing? Oh, it's, it's because all throughout the course of your day, you were taking all of these hits. You know, early this morning, that person said that thing to you. And then when you got to the office, you opened up your email and you read that email and that email sucked. And then you went over here and then like, it was just a crappy day and you didn't like that. And when you're going over here, like you missed a phone call from this person, you felt like a failure. And then you go over here, like all throughout the day, these things are happening. And it's like you get hit and it doesn't register on the level of the conscious mind, but it's happening in the level of the heart. And we have to become aware of these things. And like the saints are the ones who are, who live in an awareness of their hearts. Again, back to that, that analogy that we have the devotion of the sacred heart, not the sacred head. And yet most of us kind of live our lives from like the neck up, just kind of mostly aware, or I should say mostly oblivious to what's happening beneath the heart. Or another image, you know, like picture like a speedboat, like Tim and Holly, like your speedboat, right? Zipping through the lake, right? Behind the speedboat is a huge wake, right? It's churning up all this stuff behind the boat. Well, what happens when you finally stop the boat? Like you bring the boat to a quick standstill. 
that wake that's behind the boat finally comes rushing over the transom, the back of the boat. That's what usually happens when we are finally still and calm at the end of a day. Like, like the, the wake behind our hearts, like the day finally catches up. You're like, oh, there's a lot in there. And then because there's a lot in there, what we usually do is like, I'm just not going to deal with that. I'm just going to pour bourbon. <laughs> I'm going to put on some Netflix. I'm going to just, just numb out because I don't want to feel my heart. And that's where we turn to our favorite hiding places, our favorite sins. Because we don't want to feel our hearts. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to look at it. But that's a great way to like, start choosing the path of hell. Hell is, I, do, I don't want to be in communion with God. That's what hell is. And if you start deciding that now, God will give you that forever. It becomes easier and easier throughout the course of your lifetime. The more you choose that, the easier it becomes to choose that. So the decision point is, will I decide to live in relationship with the Lord or not? That's the decision. So I want to teach you how to do that. I want to teach you how to do that because no one in the seminary taught me how to do, to, taught me how to do that. I had to go away to the Institute for Priestly Formation to learn how to do that. Thanks be to God, that's changed now. They're, they're actually teaching guys how to pray in the seminary. It's pretty good. It's a pretty good thing. Pretty good thing. Anyway, so what I want to teach you, uh, I want to teach you how to pray like a pirate. Everyone say R. Very good class. A-R-R-R. Praying like a pirate. So, the first essential, the first essential habit of relational prayer, which is what this is, right? And I'm making a distinction between relational prayer and saying your prayers, right? So we have in our Catholic tradition a rich devotional life of saying prayers, right? That's usually how most of us start a prayer life, right? When you're little, you learn the Our Father, you learn the Hail Mary, you learn the Glory Be, you learn your prayers, and that's perfect. That's wonderful for a five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old. It's wonderful for a little kid. But when life starts coming at you, and like the crap's hitting the fan, and you got diagnosed with something, and this person dies, and your job is lost, and like just the world is crumbling around you, it just doesn't seem like enough sometimes, at least from the subjective side of your own heart, it doesn't seem like enough just to keep repeating words that you memorized when you were five years old. So there's a difference between saying your prayers and praying relationally. What I want to teach you tonight is this whole praying relational piece. Like how to be in communication, heart-to-heart -heart dialogue with God. And the first essential habit for relational prayer is to notice, to see, to name, to attend, to become aware of the thoughts, the feelings, the desires in me. Simply to notice them. It's to pause the speedboat, slow down the speedboat, and be like, what, what's behind me? What is in the wake of my day? What is in my heart like you send a little spelunker from your brain down into your heart, and like, pew, hey, what's going on down here? Like, oh my gosh, there's a lot going on down here. It's become aware of. Like we modern people, we, we with, with all of our technology and diversions, like we are so practiced, habituated, I should say, to not notice what's going on inside of our hearts. And we've got a million, I mean, I don't even know where my phone is. I'm probably gonna have a panic attack now. Uh, it's over there. <laughs> We got these little demonic devices. Like, I mean, I love technology, probably inordinately so. I probably do. I do. Let's be honest. I do. 
these little devices, I, they're from, <laughs> this is maybe too much, they're from the devil. Like they are just distraction machines, right? They're just so, it's just so easy just to not be where you are and to not feel what you're feeling if you've got the whole internet, a whole entertainment system, a whole gaming, just right in your pocket, right? Just like, woot, 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 woot. It's just so easy to just be numbed out of your heart, right? It takes time to begin to notice what's happening in your heart. And it takes silence, which is another thing that our modern world hates. Time and silence. It's like the opposite atmosphere of hell. In hell, there's nothing but noise and frenetic action. There's no contemplation in hell. It's just noise and action. You need silence. I watched a video on YouTube once, speaking of my addiction to technology, <laughs> about the most silent rooms in the world. They're called anechoic chambers. They're, you go into this room, they say that you go crazy after like an hour or so, because it's so silent. To the point where, after a while, you begin to hear the blood moving through your own body. You can hear it all, like you hear everything there's nothing to drown out the sound. We need anechoic chambers, so to speak, for our own hearts to become aware, to actually hear what's happening inside, to hear our own hearts and to hear the voice of God. Because, as I'll get to a little bit later, God is a whisperer. Like the way that God makes things grow, like you, you ever watch, I mean, we're watching fall right now. We're watching everything die in nature, but in springtime, like, there's no flower that's coming up out of the ground going, yeah, right? They're not screaming when they're coming out of the ground. They're not. Just saying. Like, it's silent. It's silent growth. What noise does a baby make when it's growing in the womb? Nothing. It's silent. Right? God's growth, he grows things in silence. Right? That's the language. He speaks in silence. So we need time and we need silence. And the thing is, we get immediately tempted when that wake comes rushing over the transom, when it comes over the back of the boat, when we finally have time to hear, we're all of a sudden like, oh gosh, like ugh, there's some really blah stuff in there. Like, I can't, but like I'm thinking about that. I have this image in my mind. I'm so angry. I, like, I want to actually kill people. Like there's thoughts that come up. And you're like, I can't believe that's in me. And what we want to do is be like, just like get down there, right? That's the that's temptation. That's temptation. What we like, don't airbrush any of it. Don't airbrush any of it. Don't filter any of it. Don't just think, oh my gosh, that, like, that should not be in there. I'm a grown-up Christian. I'm a priest. I shouldn't think that. What's really in there, like God wants to know. Like he doesn't want he doesn't want to talk to your heart about like what ought to be in there because that's not reality. That's not reality. God God is reality. He can only deal with reality if you're constantly coming to God saying like this is what I ought to be feeling. This is what I think I should be feeling and you never actually tell God what you are actually feeling, thinking or desiring. He's going to be like I I I don't I can't there's nothing I can do for you. You're living in fantasy world. I deal with reality. So just tell me, what's, what's there? What's there? That's the first thing, right? Acknowledge. That's the first A of the R. Are you with me? Okay. 
Oh, I think I had a slide for that. I did. Hang on. Hold on. Yes, acknowledge, relate, receive, respond. I meant to tell you this. This is the ARRR part of praying like a pirate. This is why we're praying like a pirate, because this is the acronym. <laughs> I didn't explain that. Now you think I'm crazy. OK, so we just did the A, the acknowledge part, OK? Which is this stuff. Paying attention to you and accepting my interior movements. Da 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 da. OK. The second R, well, the first R, second letter, first R, is relate. To relate, to share with the Trinity honestly and consistently the content of our hearts. The sharing is not a rationalized or psychologized analysis of our heart, just an exposing of our hearts to his heart. Teresa of Avila says this, prayer, in my opinion, is nothing else than a close, excuse me, a close sharing between friends. So you've, you've come to see, name, acknowledge what's in there. And then the second essential habit is to tell God all about it to talk to the Father, to talk to the Son, talk to the Holy Spirit about what is found in your heart and to entrust it to Him. And again, not to airbrush any of it. Some people, I know, some people in this process, in this relating part, find it helpful to journal it out, to write it all out. Like I, on the other hand, don't find that helpful because I can't write as fast as I think. So what I do is I speak it all out. So Jesus, when Jesus talks about, when He teaches about prayer, He says, when you pray... Go to your inner room. Do you know what he says next? Uh-uh. Shut the door. Why? So that behind closed doors, you can be as free as you need to be. Right? It's so beautiful. Behind that door, just let it out. Just say it. Just say it, right? That's how I, like, it's just, I verbalize. I get it all out. I tell the Father everything that I can think of that's in there, right? Now, here's the question. Why must I tell God what's going on inside of me? Because this side of Eden, this side of the fall, the only way to intimacy, again, with other people and with the Lord, is if we give the security clearance pass that says, I will let you in, and I'll let you in precisely by disclosing my heart to you, by telling you all about it. That's the only, that's the only, like, it's the only path to intimacy. There's not a shortcut. It's taking the time to relate your heart to the Lord, to let him know you. Remember in the gospel where Jesus is talking about there will be some who will come to the banquet, the door will be closed, and they'll say, Lord, we preached in your streets, we, you, you taught in our synagogues, and he'll say to them, depart from me, for I never knew you. Like, how's that possible? He's God. You, you never let him, you never let yourself be known. You have to let yourself be known. But like, doesn't he already know? Because isn't he God? Who's thinking that? A few of us? Yeah, thanks, Ray. My brother. Yeah. Doesn't he already know? The answer is yes. He does. He does. But the invitation that God is issuing to us is an invitation into intimacy. Right? He's inviting us into intimacy. He's inviting us into relationship, which means he's not going to force it upon us. Like, yes, God knows us better than we know ourselves, but look at how Jesus, who is God in the flesh, look at how Jesus speaks and acts in the Gospels, right? You've got this blind guy, Bartimaeus, 
begging by the roadside, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. I'm like, shut up, Bartimaeus, you're annoying Jesus. That's what the apostles say. I paraphrase. Shut up, Bartimaeus. He keeps calling out, Jesus, son of David, pity on me. Mind you, blind guy, right? Can't see anything. He's very blind. Okay. I'm trying to paint the character for you. And Jesus says, call him. They say, get up. He's calling you. He comes over to Jesus, fumbling his way through the crowd. Okay. And then Jesus, who is God, who knows everything, says to the blind guy who clearly can't see, what do you want me to do for you? Like, Take a guess, Jesus. <laughs> like, I'd like a Maserati. Like, he wants you to cure his blindness, bro. Like, but he asks the question, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Or think about the encounter that Jesus has with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, right? Resurrected Jesus, walks with the disciples. He comes with the disciples as they're walking away from Jerusalem to this town called Emmaus. In other words, they're walking in the wrong direction. They're discussing things. He comes up to them. What are you guys talking about as you walk along the way? And they look at him and they say, are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's happened there these past days? And if I was shooting the movie of the scene, if I was the director, Jesus would be going, what sort of things, right? Like the divine eye roll, right? Like, but then he, but that's what he says. He goes, what sort of things? Like he plays dumb. <laughs> he wants to, he's engaging them in conversation. Tell me about it. What sort of things? What are you talking about as you walk along the way? Like Jesus, again, the omnipotent one, omniscient one. He commands us to seek, to ask, to knock. God does not need our update, but he invites us to relate our interiority to him, to tell him, because we need to share our hearts. Like, that's what we need. We need to share our hearts. That's what we need. Here's, here's an example of how to think about this. So imagine there's this high school kid who's on the basketball team, right? This kid who had never really been playing much throughout the season, he'd been injured, but it's now the championship game. Now, this kid's dad was traveling for work. The championship game comes, and the kid gets put in last few minutes of the game, and he's playing amazingly, amazingly. Has this incredible buzzer beater, brings the team to victory, wins the championship. Now imagine that the coach calls the dad, right? Leaves the dad this voicemail. Oh my gosh, you'd be so proud of your son. He was incredible. You put him in the game. He has this incredible buzzer beater. He won the game. His championship is incredible. Net around his neck. Oh my gosh. Dad lands. He's flying home from work. He lands in Cleveland, checks his voicemail, listens to the voicemail. He's so proud of his son. Dad comes home late that night. Son's already in bed. Next morning, dad's awake eating his breakfast down at the table. Son comes down the steps, flying down the steps. Brrr. Dad, 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 I got to tell you about the game last night. And the dad goes, oh, yeah, I already heard all about it. Coach called me. Versus, dad, 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 I got to tell you about the game last night. Yeah, tell me all about it. I want to know all about it. What happened? Do you see the difference? Like, that's the father. Tell me all about it. Tell me all about it. That's the father. So then the third step. Are we good so far? So the first one, what's the first A? Then relate. And now the third R, or the third letter, the second R is receive. Receive. By acknowledging and relating, we are able to receive all that God wants to give us to receive how he seems or what he is doing 
in response to my vulnerability moves us from isolation into intimacy and communion. Again, Jean Corbon, who wrote the fourth section of the Catechism on prayer, he said this, the most fruitful human activity is to receive God. Receptivity, this is the, this is the third one. Why does Jesus command us to ask, to seek, to knock? Why is the Our Father, right? The Our Father, which, by the way, that was Jesus' response when the, the apostles asked him, when his disciples said, teach us how to pray. He said, when you pray, say this. And what is the Our Father? It's essentially seven petitions, asking God for seven things. Why does Jesus command us to ask, to seek, to knock? Because he wants us to receive from him. Because in this dynamic, in this relationship with God, we are always meant to be in the position of receptivity. Receptivity, which is not um, the same as, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Doesn't matter, I can't think of it. Receptivity, what what is receptivity? It's an active openness. It's an active straining openness. It's not just dumb openness, like like a a trash can. It's open at the top, and anything can go in it. Receptivity says, I'm meant to be filled. Like, like I'm aching, stretching, straining. Fill me. It's the difference between an empty stomach and an empty box. An empty box isn't trying to be filled. An empty stomach is going, (laughs) fill me, right? That's receptivity. Because in this relationship, and there are more on this throughout the course of the year, humanity was meant by God to stand in the posture of the bride. God made our humanity different, masculinity and femininity. More on this in two weeks with Chris, or three weeks, coming up. But the body of the bride reveals receptivity to the gift, to open, to receive, conceive, nurture, and bear forth. All of humanity, men included, we are all in the posture of the creature of the bride, open before God's love. That's who we're meant to be. Think about what's the, uh, in, in the Psalms, In the Psalms, David says, God is speaking through David, says, open wide your mouth and I will fill it. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. I'm having flashbacks right now to, uh, so really good friends of mine, Mark and Lauren, they've got seven kids and uh, their third youngest, Frank, today's Frank's birthday. It was always very funny, like, referring to Frank when he was a little baby, right? Frank's just like an old man name. You're, like, holding this newborn. Hello, Frank. <laughs> it's just funny. But Frank is six, to, six today. But when uh, I had this memory of I was, I was feeding Frank when he was, I don't know, he was, how, how old you are when you're getting, like, all the goopy Gerber food. So I'm trying to spoon this food into Frank's mouth. And, of course, Frank is just, like, every time I go to bring the spoon in, he's like, Whoa! He's just grabbing the spoon. I'm like, stop grabbing the spoon. <laughs> He's making a mess everywhere. I'm like, I swear to God, Frank, just open your mouth, and I will put the food in there. Like, I promise you, bro. Like, just if you open, I promise. I'm not going to be like, yeah, it's all for me. Right? Like, I promise you. I promise you. It will go in there, and you're going to love it. It's prunes. Right? Like, 
but he wouldn't do it. He was always grasping. He was always, I'm, like, I'm going to kill you. And that's his personality. David says, right, open wide your mouth and I will fill it. This is, this is what happened through original sin. We stopped trusting that the goodness was going to just be put in. We started grasping. We started grasping. Right? Pope Benedict said that the, the evil of original sin is that we all inherited what he calls the prideful presumption of self-sufficiency. We all became self-sufficient. Like, I don't trust the gift. I don't trust you to give anything to me. I'm going to take care of it myself. I don't want to receive from you. I don't want to wait on anything to be dependent on. It's a bad way to be human. So what happens in prayer, we've acknowledged, we've related, and what happens is God is going to give us tangible expressions of his love. He's going to communicate to us, right? It's so crucial for us to receive those, to drink them in deeply, and like, and that receptivity is meant to sustain us throughout the day. It's meant to carry us. It's meant to daily transform us. I think there's so many of us who we go from like powerful experience, like on a retreat or some type of moment, and then we don't do any kind of prayer life and we wait months and then we have another experience. We kind of coast on these moments. We're not meant to live that way. Like I'm not meant to survive today on yesterday's graces. Like, I'm supposed to have fresh grace, right? Every day. Like, every day I need to hear the Father tell me things. Every day I need to hear Jesus speak to me. Every day I need to experience the Holy Spirit. Every day. Like, just challenge your own thinking right now. Like, maybe, is there a part of you that's thinking, like, do I really need that every day? And if I think that I don't really need him every day, what does that say? I don't really need to hear from God who is love and beauty and goodness and infinite glory. I'll just, I'll make it on my own. That's just not a great way to be human. We need it every day. We need it every day. So what might I be asked by God to receive? You might be asked to receive, like just drink deeply these words from scripture that just suddenly hit in a new way like you've never heard them before. Like, is this, this has been in the Bible the whole time? I've had those experiences where like praying the breviary, it's the same four-week psalter, the same four-week cycle of psalms, and like just all of a sudden one day like a line will jump out at me, and I'm like, has that been here the whole time? It's like, yeah, for about, you know, 1,800 years. You're like, crap. But it's like I never noticed it. But all of a sudden today the Lord just highlights it and it just levels me, right? So it might be a scripture that you're reading every day or that you come to on a daily basis. There might be some consoling memory that the Lord brings up. Like he might bring you back to an experience you had in prayer with him. And he's saying, I want you to go back to this. I want you to drink again the grace that you received here. Or you might be asked to receive just this, this awareness of peace. You might be asked to receive just an awareness of the majesty of God. Like he's here, like pressing in, like the atmosphere presses in upon us. You might be asked to receive this, this deep sense of being loved. Like just an awareness, like I am seen, I am known, I am loved. The Lord might bring up like, a, a, he might speak a word to you. Right? He, might, he might bring up a song lyric. He might bring up an image. Like you might have an image in prayer like I, like I had. Right here at Ritz now when we were asking, how are you looking at me, Father? Oftentimes the Father speaks to me in images or movie clips. 
It's often movie clips or images. And those movies are often like Braveheart or you know other Mel Gibson movies. This is how my heart works. Or Disney movies, a lot of Disney movies. The question you want to ask in this receiving moment is, how, God, how are you loving me right now? What are you communicating to me? Because God's not limited in his, his communication skills. Like the only ways that I have to communicate with you, it's, very, it's a very limited band, right? I can speak to you. I can use body language. Um, that's about it. I could write something to you. I could text you something. But not a lot of ways. God can communicate in all sorts of ways. We have to give him latitude. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more towards the end once we take a break here. So how are we doing? Acknowledge, relate, receive. Here comes the fourth one. Respond. Our response is our freedom choosing to follow Jesus' teaching to abide in me. It might be an action. It might be savoring. It might be repenting. It might be praise. Thomas Aquinas, love is an act of the will. Okay. So the grace we receive from God, it calls forth from us a response Right? Acknowledge, relate, receive, respond. Acknowledge, relate, receive, respond. Acknowledge, relate, receive, respond. What does this look like? Huh? Dance step, a waltz. We're learning how to enter the dance, how to be with the one who loves us. This is how you enter in, how you get in. So when we receive the particular expression of God's love for us in this present moment, like that love is going to crystallize in some type of like response, right? It could be, it could be conversation. It could be another question you ask the Lord. It could be laughter. It could be tears. It could be like, yes, Lord, I will do that, right? It, it doesn't really matter what it is, but it, it, needs to, it needs to result in some type of response, some type of response. So we're going to say this last thing, then we're going to take a little break. So... Acknowledge, relate, receive, respond. Together? Acknowledge, relate, receive, respond. This is not a method of prayer. It's not like I'm going to acknowledge for 15 minutes, I'm going to relate for 15 minutes, receive for 15 minutes, respond for 15 minutes. That ain't how this works, right? Imagine how, like, if you, like, went into a dinner conversation, you know, on your anniversary, sitting across from your spouse, you're like, okay, I'm going to listen to you for 15 minutes, and I'm going to talk for 15 minutes, and you can talk for 15 minutes, and then I'm going to talk again. How's that going to work? I mean, I'm a celibate. I'm just asking. Not, <laughs> probably not good. <laughs> it's, it's not a method. It's, it's just naming the relational dynamics. This is how relationship works. This is how you enter into the dance. These are the dynamics that govern intimacy. If you're going to have intimacy, you've got to have this. Acknowledge, relate, receive, respond. Okay, let's take a, a few minute break. And I got a few more things that we're going to talk about. I'm going to towel off my head because I am very warm right now. Okay. All right. How are we doing so far? We good? Is this helpful making sense? Acknowledge, relate, receive, respond? The dance steps? Yeah? Okay. All right. Now we're going to deal with uh, what are probably the three most, I don't know, common objections, not the right word, but like things that come up when you really start praying. So here's the first thing. But when I pray, it often feels so dry and boring, like nothing is happening, said everyone who has ever tried to pray. Okay. 
I mean, like, we've all been there, right? If you've ever tried to pray, at some point, this is your experience. It feels so dry and so lifeless and boring, like nothing is happening, right? Okay. So back to St. Ignatius of Loyola. St. Ignatius, he, in his 14 Rules for the Discernment of Spirits, he has this distinction between what he calls consolation and desolation. So this is what he says that desolation is. Desolation is darkness of soul, disturbance in it, movement to low and earthly things, disquiet from various agitations and temptations, moving to lack of confidence, without hope, without love, finding oneself totally slothful, tepid, and sad, and as if separated from one's creator and Lord. It's a, it's a nosedive into just like, ugh, like, I'm not feeling anything in prayer. I'm feeling like pulled away. I'm feeling like, like you're not there, God, right? As if you're separated from one's creator and Lord. In desolation, St. Ignatius says, the temptation from the enemy is always to get us to turn in upon ourselves. So in the acknowledge, relate, receive, respond, the enemy most often wants to attack and put a block in between the A and the first R. He doesn't want you to be in relationship, which is another way of saying he doesn't want you to be relating anything. He wants you to turn in upon yourself, start thinking about yourself. Like the enemy is, the last thing he wants to do is overplay his hand and say, I'd like you to worship me. Start praying to me. He's never going to do that. What he's going to say is, just stop talking to God and start talking to yourself. Think about yourself. Start going through your to-do list of the day. Just like this prayer thing isn't working so much, start thinking about something practical. Right? That's what he does. So what do you do? St. Ignatius says, do the opposite. The temptation is to stop relating. Do the opposite. Relate all the more, right? God, like, Father, this, I'm, I'm feeling nothing from you. It feels as if you're not here. I feel like I'm chewing on sand. This is what you do. Father, I feel like there's 3,000 grains of sand in my mouth. I'm going to talk to you about every single one because I don't know what else to talk about. It feels like brown sand, and it's very dry. And I, Father, I, I just, I don't know what else to talk to you about. So I'm going to keep talking about the nothing there is to talk about. That's how you deal with desolation. You keep talking to him about the nothing. You keep talking to him about the frustration. You keep talking to him. The enemy just wants you to stop talking to him. You just keep talking to him. Does that make sense? Just keep talking. Okay, next one. Oh, yeah, this is you in the desert. This is your prayer life. <laughs> this is my prayer life. I could use some water. Okay, but I get so distracted in prayer, I just can't focus. Again, said everyone who's ever tried to pray. Uh, anybody ever feel like that, trying to pray? Yeah, a little bit? Okay, yeah. So a few thoughts on this. First, it's helpful to have a plan of what you want to pray about or what you want to pray with. And the church, in her beautiful wisdom, has a cycle of readings. Every single day, there's a selection from the Bible to pray with. Usually it's an Old Testament reading, Psalm and Gospel. You can pray with the daily readings every single day. That'd be an amazing thing to do. There's, like, and there's a million ways to do it now with the apps on phones or the Magnificat or, or Laudate. Or there, there's a million ways to do it. You can go to USCCB's website. You can look at the daily readings. But a beautiful way to pray is to structure your prayer on the church's liturgical prayer. So to be praying from the heart of the church and with the heart of the church. Pray with the daily readings. Or you can do the whole Father Mike Schmitz thing, Bible in a year. Pray with the Bible every, every, every day. Listen to some part of that. 
Go through a gospel. Go through an epistle. Decide, I'm going to pray one chapter of a thing a day. Right? It, it doesn't matter what you do. Just decide what you're going to do. And like from my experience, from my perspective, the best place to start is the scriptures. Don't say, I'm going to work through the poems of Shel Silverstein for my prayer. <laughs> like, I'm sure there's great stuff in there, right? But like, that ain't the inspired word of God, right? That's where the sidewalk ends, isn't it? That's Shel Silverstein? Yeah. Yeah. Don't do that. Okay. <laughs> the other thing is, in the midst of prayer, oftentimes you'll be like, you'll be sitting there and you'll be praying. Like this happens to me very often. I'm praying. I'm thinking about, you know, Jesus at the wedding feast of Cana, let's say. I'm trying to imagine the scene. I'm putting myself there. I'm talking to the apostles, talking to Mary, drinking some really good wine, being like, I want to get another cup, but there's no more. Dang it. And then all of a sudden it's like, what are you going to have for dinner tonight? <laughs> Did I leave the uh, stove on last night? <laughs> I hope not. I probably didn't because we're still alive. Hope Father Joe's not dead downstairs. <laughs> I should probably go check. Oh, I should, be, I should be in Cana. I'm back in Cana. Okay. Yeah, that wine's really good, Jesus. Thank you. Is that a bird outside the window? No, man, that's a squirrel. Are there squirrels? Oh, my gosh, that's a squirrel. Like, right? It's so true. It's so true. All right, so what do you do? What do you do? Give up hope you're going to hell. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. What do you do? The first time a distraction comes up and you become aware of the distraction, like you've been praying with this scripture and all of a sudden, like 10 minutes later, you are at like Cedar Point thinking about the fast passes and you're like, wait, how long have I been here? <laughs> I've been at Cedar Point now for 10 minutes. I was supposed to be at the wedding feast of Cana. Crap. Um, gently, without condemnation, bring yourself on back. Father, I offered to you the whole Cedar Point thing. I'm so sorry, but I'm back to you. Okay, Father, I'm back here, right here. I'm with you. All right. If it comes up a third time, if another distraction comes up a third time, scrap what you were intending to pray with and pray with and through the distraction. Tell God all about the distraction. Tell God all about Cedar Point and the fast pass. Tell God all about the squirrel. Tell God all about all the things. Like, the moment you realize that there are no such things as distractions in prayer, just only further conversation points with God, it revolutionizes your prayer life. There's only new topics to talk to God about. It's, it's revolutionary. It brings all the judgment out of it. Like, oh man, I suck as a Christian. I suck as a, I should be able to pray better. No, just keep talking to God about the things that just keep popping in your mind. Just tell him about it. What color is the fast pass? Like, what ride are you going to go on first? Jesus, you want to go on the fast? You want to go on the ride with me? Just talk to him. You relate it all. That's a game changer. Okay, next one. How do I know I'm not just talking to myself? How do I distinguish between my voice and God's voice? Again, said anybody who's ever tried to pray. Is this prayer? <laughs> Listen, you, you're very good looking, and I also need some help from you. All right, let's talk about this one. This one's, this one's big. And again, we moderns, you know, ever since the Enlightenment, uh, we modern people so highly distrust this faculty of our soul called the imagination. Imagination is different than fantasy. Imagination is that power of the soul. Think of it like the arena. 
the place upon which God put in us for him to communicate to us. It's the power of the soul by which God is able to communicate himself to us. Like, like if there's a meeting point, it's there in some ways. We've been told that our imagination is the same as fantasy. Like it's all make-believe. It's all made up. That's not true. It's not true. I love this story about St. Joan of Arc, right? St. Joan of Arc, amazing heroine who defeated the English, was arrested and tried as a witch. She was told that these voices that you are hearing of Jesus and Michael, I think it was St. Margaret Mary as well. I think that was the other one. I could be wrong. Someone can fact check me. But these voices that you're hearing, they said, they're all in your imagination. You're making it up. And she said to them, puzzled, well, of course they're in my imagination. How else would God talk to me? How good is that, right? Joan of Arc, man, she's so great. Of course they're in my imagination. How else would they talk to me? We have to learn how to give greater latitude to our imagination. Again, the Lord speaks in ways that are different than how you and I speak. I'm speaking right now using words, grammar, syntax, vocabulary, traveling through airwaves, hitting your eardrum, going into your brain, right? That's not how God speaks. He'll often speak in a tone that sounds like your own inner voice. Everyone right now, in your own mind, say your name inside your head. Go ahead, right now. Did you hear yourself say your name? Yeah, but we didn't say anything out loud. Okay, so that's your voice. That's your inner monologue, right? All day long, we got our inner monologue going, right? And into the inner monologue, the Lord speaks using a voice that sounds very similar to ours. Because just think for a second, how bizarre would it be if all of a sudden, you're like, you're going along, making your grocery list, and all of a sudden you hear this, like, I want you to go to church. Like, <laughs> it could be very unsettling if God's voice was something like Darth Vader in the midst of your voice, right? So in the kindness of the Father, he speaks in a tone that's very similar to your voice, right? And when the Father speaks, he speaks declarative statements. He says, like, I'm here. I love you. You are good. You are mine. The enemy also speaks in a tone that's similar to our voice. But he says things, if you follow the path of the enemy's words, it leads you into a place of depression, anxiety, loneliness, feeling condemned, accused, without hope. Right? The father says things declaratively, and the enemy says things like, you should pray harder. You should be better. Like, you shouldn't have done that. He says, like, and, and, and what, get, what gets us is, like, maybe that's true. Maybe you shouldn't have done that. Maybe you should try harder. But if you follow that voice, where do those breadcrumbs, breadcrumbs lead? They lead right to a place of accusation, condemnation, feeling hopeless, lost, alone. The Father will never say anything to you that leads you there. Ever. Ever, 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 ever. God's voice lifts. Like if you hear something and it lifts your heart, it brings you peace, brings you hope, brings you encouragement. That's the Father's voice. 
And he can speak in all sorts of ways. Back to that, what I was saying before, he can speak in images. He can speak in song lyrics, movie clips. I've shared this story before, but it's one of the <laughs> clearest examples of this in my life. I was, um, I was on my internship. So the year, so I finished that 10-week program at IPF, and I go to St. Mary Parish in Painesville for a year to serve uh, as a seminarian there. And I was in this place of just, I was in deep desolation. So I, I just felt so far from God. I felt so low, so broken, just so like hopeless and lifeless. And I felt like I just had not connected with Jesus in a long time. And I was sitting in prayer, and out of nowhere, bubbling up in my heart, I hear, I think it's Nor Jones. I think it's Nor Jones. I hear this song that's, come away with me tonight, or however the words go. I'm not a big Nora Jones fan. Okay, so, but that's what I heard. I heard this song. It just bubbled up, like out of nowhere. And immediately, I just was tears. Why? Because that was the Father singing to me. That was the Lord singing to me. Right? What does Jesus say to the disciples after they've done all of this intense ministry? They've been out and about. They're pouring themselves out, casting out demons, preaching the gospel. It says, he looks at them and says, come away by yourselves to an empty place and rest a while. Which is a good paraphrase of Nora Jones' song. <laughs> like, he, he was singing to me. He was singing to me. Pay attention to those things. Pay attention to that. That's the Lord singing. We have our five physical senses, right? And we have spiritual senses that parallel our physical senses. So in prayer, you might, like, sense that the Lord is giving you an image of something. You might sense that the Lord is speaking something to you. You might sense that the Lord is embracing you. You might get a sense of some aroma, some taste. That's a weird one when that happens. <laughs> All of a sudden you're like, I taste brownies, but like, what, I, what is going on? It's true. It happens. It's weird. God does weird things. Okay. This is, this is your primer on prayer. Acknowledge, relate, receive, respond in desolation. Keep relating. Have a plan for prayer. Talk to God about the distraction. And when it comes to the voices, we have to give latitude to our imagination. And we have to notice, does this interior voice lead me into a place of darkness, into a place of, of anxiety, into a place of condemnation? Or does this voice lead me to a place of encouragement. That's how we discern those voices. Okay, uh, we've got 10 minutes left. Before we close in prayer, I want to open us up to any questions you might have about any of what we talked about tonight or anything from any of the previous nights. Speak now or forever hold your peace. <laughs> Question in the back. Yeah. So it's interesting that this was the topic tonight. Um, so when I pray, I usually pray to Heavenly Father. Mm -hmm. And you said under the topic of relate to share with the Trinity. So my question is, when we pray, do we pray to Jesus? Do we pray to God? Yeah. To Lord? Great question. Okay, so the question was, do we, when we pray, when we relate, that second R, do we relate to the Father, to Jesus, the Holy Spirit? Who do we relate to? Um, you can relate to any of them, right? So if you're relating to the Father, the Holy Spirit and Jesus are right there. If you're relating to Jesus, 
Father and the Holy Spirit are there. If you're relating to the Holy Spirit, Father and Jesus are there, right? Um, you, you can't speak to one without speaking to all, all of them. Um, I think given our own stories, there's maybe a particular person of the Trinity that we might relate to easier, right? Um, there's, there's been seasons of my life where it's been easier to talk to Jesus than it was the Father. There's been seasons where it's easier to talk to the Holy Spirit than it was Father or Jesus. And like right now, it's just the Father. Everything for me right now is the Father. <laughs> like it's just all oriented to the Father. Um, but yeah, it would, it's, it's whomever. Yeah. And I think that there's also things, there's maybe, if I can just press that, there's maybe topics or subjects that are, that naturally, I don't know, veer towards one person of the Trinity more than the others. Maybe you can even say, like, holy, or like, you can say, Trinity, who, who am I supposed to speak to right now? Like, tell me, Lord, who, who am I supposed to talk to right now? And they'll make it clear. Okay. Yeah. So there's no wrong <laughs> I mean, there's wrong answers, but in terms of like what you just asked, there's not a wrong answer to which of the persons of the Trinity do I talk to? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the put the mask on yourself first before you put the mask on someone else, maybe philosophy. Um, or I've also heard it put this way, that like intercession is so powerful and so important, but the truth is God wants to do more in you than through you. Um, like he's so much more interested in transforming you than transforming other people through you. So there, there's, a, there's a form of escapism there too that just says like we're like father like don't even we don't even have to talk about my stuff there's far bigger things we can talk about like Susie down the street she's got cancer let's like I'll pray for Susie's mom's cancer like don't worry about my stuff and the father's like yeah I'm worried about Susie's mom and I'm I'm worried about you too I'm also God and I'm capable of handling all of that you know so um yeah I'm just gonna leave it there does that make sense absolutely that was wonderful okay yeah. So when you had the slide of the prayer per person who's praying with all the distractions. Yeah. Okay, that doesn't happen to me, but what happens to me is I'm so exhausted by the time I have that prayer to be yeah. Yeah, that's fine too. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what Therese Lassou did, and she's a doctor of the church. So, like, think about, I don't know if you have children or grandchildren, but like, how much does it delight anybody to have a sleeping baby in their arms? <laughs> Fabulous, right? <laughs> like, there's something about, like, I think it just delights the father. And like, like don't think for a second either that, um, like, I'll say this. Don't go to your prayer time like, I brought my sleeping bag and my pillow, Lord. I'm here to make my holy hour, <laughs> you know? Like, don't do that, you know? But like, it's okay. It's okay. It really is. It really is okay. I'll tell you the story sometime of when I actually fell asleep in the actual Garden of Gethsemane one time. True story. <laughs> Just like the apostles, you know. So, like, 
it happens, you know, they're a belly full of wine, you know. So, yeah, Therese Lassou, she would, she would fall asleep in her holy hours because she's like, the Father loves me. Like, he loves me. And, like, it's okay to be a little kid resting in my papa's arms. Yeah. Carol. Yeah. Now, when I pray, I, I say a rosary every day. Mm -hmm. In my room, I often put my door closed. Mm -hmm. I have prayers from different books that I say every mm -hmm. day. And then at the end, I pray for everybody in the world. I, I pray for, uh, for the war. I pray for the election that's coming up. I yeah. pray No, remember the distinction I was making between devotional prayers and relational prayer? So what all of you are describing right there, that's devotional prayer. Like, you are, you are saying scripted words to God. Good words, beautiful words, holy words, words that have been inspired from the tradition. Like, there's, like, there's not a saint that didn't have a devotional life to the Blessed Mother. There, I don't know a modern saint that didn't pray the rosary. Um, so beautiful, essential prayers. But the challenge here, Carol, would be, where is, where is the dynamic of your heart, like your stuff, your past, your junk, your, just the stuff in your heart, the thoughts, feelings, desires, bring that to the Lord. Okay, I do that too, but sometimes I forget about me. Yeah. But I try to, to do that as well. Yeah. And, you know, read either the readings that are in the uh, bulletin, mm -hmm. or I listen to some podcast, your podcast. Well, that's the most important thing you could do, right there. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. Would you say then that um, mental illness and suicide and all those things happens when you listen to the voice of the devil? Oh, that's just way more complicated of a thing to answer right now. But I mean, it, it certainly is, it's it's a part of it. It's complicated. Um, I think, I think, so back to Ignatius Loyola, he talks about spiritual consolation, spiritual desolation, and non-spiritual consolation, and non-spiritual desolation, right? So how are you going to feel like tomorrow if you have a terrible night's sleep tonight? Probably bad, right? You're, you're going to feel naturally drawn towards low and earthly things. You're going to be lazy, probably grumpy, probably agitated, right? All those things. And the enemy can capitalize on those, that natural desolation and turn it into a spiritual desolation. Like, like he can make that be now applied to relationship to God, right? You also can do that with natural, natural consolations, right? You just had an amazing meal. I like an amazing meal. Like this, the flavors, everything was perfect. Like, and the Lord, like, the Lord can take that and that could be, like, it could be springboarded from there into like, God, like, 
like, thank you for making flavor. Thank you for making taste buds. Like, you don't have to make taste buds, but like, it can springboard you into praise and like, adulation of God. It can bring you to a place of relationship, a place of deeper communion. So like, there's a lot of naturally occurring factors that, in, that are involved in mental illness. And does the enemy capitalize on a lot of those? Yeah, I would say so. I would say so. Yeah. Yes. Um, so when you talked about prayer and the arts, um, and you mentioned how um, whether or not it's our own voice or God's voice, yeah. do you ever practice like silence and solitude at all? Every day. Do you and like advocate like incorporating that into your devotional prayers as well? Every single day. Yeah. Yeah. It it takes me a long time in the morning, like I get up early so that I can have a good chunk of time of just being like, I'm a cup of coffee and just like it takes me a long time to like be, I have to like go through this battle of, of like, don't look at your to-do list of the day, don't look at the calendar, like, oh, you looked at the calendar, okay, now I got to like detox from looking at the calendar, I got to like be calm again. but yeah, it takes me a good chunk of time before I'm ever able to even like begin to formulate any thought, to be, ever be, to begin to be even aware of what's in my heart before I can bring that even to the Lord. But yeah, every single day. Yeah. Keith. Yeah. And like, no, I'm not, I'm not asking is there an acceptable time or like this has been going on forever, so what's my problem? But like, is there a, something that can snap you out of that or is it a, a change of pace maybe or anything like that that can help bring you back to? Yeah, I would say a few things. I mean, the, the Lord sa- or the Ignatius says, when in desolation, do the opposite of what feels natural, which is to like withdraw from prayer, pull away from spiritual things. Um, he also says intensify. Like if you said, like if you say, I'm going to pray for 30 minutes today, and I'm in desolation. He says, pray for 33 minutes. Like, just because the enemy is like, he wants you at that 29th minute to be like, oh, I'm done. I can't even make it 30 minutes. But push it to 33. The other thing he says is perform a corporal work of mercy. Like, like just do something. Do 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 what Jesus commands us to do. Go find a dead person and bury him. <laughs> Or a different one, you know, whatever you're into. Um, yeah. Or think about, yeah, find a naked person and put some clothes on them. Um, but think about Mother Teresa, right? Mother Teresa, this is always like it, it, one of those extreme examples, but she was plunged into a deep darkness of desolation for close to 50 years of her life, right? So, um, like, if the Lord permits spiritual desolation, it's not because, it's not to punish us, it's to test us, to like, to purify us, meaning like, like, are you pursuing me? God says, are you pursuing me for my consolation? Or are you pursuing me in spite of the consolation? In other words, like, do we love the, the consolations of God or the consolations of God? Right? I don't know if I said it backwards. Does that make sense? The God of consolation or the consolations of God? 
right? He's saying, I want you to pursue me for me, right? So he'll withdraw his felt presence. And oftentimes also, this is Ignatius, or no, this is Augustine. He says, the only way prayer is ultimately becoming a longing for God, right? So the only way that God can stretch our hearts to give us a bigger gift is to delay the gift, right? So it's like when you're working out, pushing against resistance, it's stretching the muscles, right? So longing, plunging you into desolation, the Lord is saying, I'm trying to stretch you to capacitate you to give you an even greater gift that you're not capable of receiving yet because there's not enough room yet in your heart. So I'm delaying the gift. Yeah. Okay. Perseverance. Yeah. Oh. Andrew's little book, first book, page eight. Thank Father for his presentation today. Join me. Okay. All right, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, we lift up to you tonight all the prayers and petitions of our hearts, those that have been named and those that have been unnamed. We pray tonight, we lift up to you, Lord, uh, for this person's grandpa, who just recently had an aneurysm, that it would be healed. We pray also for the repose of the soul of Frank Maddage and for the um, consolation for his wife, Joyce. So Frank just died the other day, and the funeral is Friday. Lord, we ask you to bring peace and healing to their family. Lord, when the apostles and the disciples asked you, Jesus, how to pray, you taught them the Our Father. So this perfect prayer we offer back to you as we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll see you guys next week. Next week, you've got uh, Chris teaching us. Chris! He's teaching us. Uh, the article you got to read for next week is a beautiful article that was written by a friend of mine in my last parish. His name is Kevin Mitchell. It's just a really awesome kind of biblical sort of 101 thing that's in your binders. All right, so we'll see you next week, guys. Thank you.